0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Today I'm going to be talking to Craig Randall, and he's a counsellor, a coach, teacher, principal, author, trainer, and consultant. Now, Craig is the author of the book and founder of the business with the name Trust-Based Observations. And Craig's goal is to transform the world of teacher observation and evaluation. He is dedicated to training and consulting school leaders on the use of the trust-based observations empowering them to build supportive relationships with their teachers relationships which foster risk-taking which in turn dramatically improve teaching and learning. Now just before we get into this fantastic conversation with Craig here's a quick thank you from our sponsor. (laughs) Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hi, uh, Thank you so much for being here on the Education on Fire podcast. Tell us just a short amount about where you're actually living at the moment. And, and we just had a, a pre kind of conversation about how we've got more in common than maybe we think we do.
1: Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Mark. I am currently in uh, Seattle, Washington, so fairly similar uh, weather to where you are, for sure.
0: I want to start with... On your website you say we empower teachers towards innovation and risk taking and that seems to me one incredibly exciting and two probably the opposite to what lots of teachers would feel generally speaking day to day in their in their working lives. So, so talk us through that and where did that come from?
1: Oh, uh, well, uh, so there was a famous, uh, basketball coach, collegiate basketball coach named Dean Smith. He, and he was the coach of Michael Jordan back in his college days. And, and I remember I spent a portion of my career coaching and then even coaching collegiately in small college. And, during that period of time, I would read those kind of books just voraciously. And I remember in his book, he said something that really resonated with me. And he said, I learned a lot more about how to be a good coach from all the non-examples than I did from the examples. So I think in some ways, it it really boils down to that. And and even when I had principles that were good principles, and we know they're like in everything, there's a range from superior to poor. And and But even when the good ones were doing whatever the model for teacher observation, was that, that somehow it just felt inadequate to me. I don't know. I just, if it was so rare and then like the next time you talk about it, they talk about something else and not about what you did last time. So then where was the through line? And then, I'd say I had a two-year stretch where I wasn't observed at all as a teacher, which is strangely not as uncommon as you might think. And just thinking, what is wrong with the picture here when we're not even being observed? Or people will come in and send, have you signed something at the end of the year, but they never saw you. And so I think the frustration started with that for wanting something new. And along with somebody saying, "Hey, Craig, I think you ought to go into administrator." Another princi- principal said that while well, I was a teacher, and then I started my administrative program. Uh, principal certification program and I met my mentor in my 40s and uh, because I didn't have that one maybe growing up that one teacher and I remember he just he had this passion about him and I felt like sometimes my frustration about observation evaluation was my own because I would talk to other people about it and sometimes they would say yeah yeah but just what it is and I was maybe kind of at a low point as I started thinking it was just me and then he just started talking about you have to be in classes every day and observing teachers and supporting and having reflective conversations and building relationships with them so they'll take chances and get better. And I just remember this light bulb, hallelujah, aha moment when, when he said that. And so in his class, we started doing observations, practicing and practicing regularly. We would have to bring in little 10 minute lessons to teach. And then one of us would take turns observing. And then immediately afterwards, we would have a reflective conversation with that from that mock lesson and they were started off and they're still it's the core of trust-based observations today the reflective conversation by two questions number one what were you doing to help teachers learn and number two if you had it to do over again what if anything might you do differently and so we practice this and practice practice it we practice all kinds of different situations and then I got out into the real world and became an assistant principal. And I was really lucky because a lot of times systems don't allow you the freedom to veer from their particular model. I had a principal who was at a point in his career where he'd had a whole career overseas, I mean in the U S and now he was teaching at a, or principal to school overseas. And he was at a point where having somebody young and enthusiastic and passionate was what really stoked him. And so that was me. And I said, hey, I have this idea about observations and these three 20 minute observations a day. And he said, all right, let's do it. And he actually started doing it too. And so really, we started doing it. And then instead of giving advice right away, I didn't. I would just ask these questions. And one, I noticed that people really, really liked just having these questions being asked. And they would actually say that no one had really asked them what they thought before. It was always just afterwards somebody telling them what was good or bad or rating it and then offering suggestions. And so that felt really comforting to them or exciting to them that, that it was about them and not about me telling them what I saw. And then instead of offering advice right away, and I think the reason I didn't do it was multiple. One, I was uncomfortable giving advice to someone when I'd only seen them a little bit. It seemed almost arrogant for me. What if I saw them doing something, didn't see them doing something, told them to get better at it, and it was something they did really well, I just didn't happen to see it. And then two, it was probably the new guy wanting to be liked. And so instead, I just shared what I observed, evidence of, and it was strengths, but there were no ratings attached to it. And I noticed teachers just felt glowing about the strengths. And then a really, really strange thing happened is that a number of teachers, like second, third, fourth visit, they would start to say, well, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? And then something clicked that somehow, because I made it about them and I shared strengths and I waited, till some kind of relationship had built. Some of this was like things I figured out later, not in the moment. Uh, they were more willing to take risks and they were more willing to try things to get better. And really that's, and it just kind of ended up building from there, not knowing I was building some new kind of way of doing it. It just sort of happened.
0: I mean that's fantastic, isn't it? Because it sort of comes from that passion, it comes from that understanding, it comes from you wanting to it to be better because of your own experience. And I think then, when you're not trying to create anything for the sake of creating it, then you know there's real authenticity there, and that's that really is the key. Then,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny because as I kept going, and it just would go, you know, to a different school, and you'd add something new, and somewhere along the way, we created a, an observation template, and then I knew that these. Loaded rubrics that have 50 or 60. Like the research would say that if you have more than 10 areas, observers start to lose the forest through the trees. And so I created one that only had like nine areas on it. And then I was at a school where the head of the school said, Craig, I'd like you to teach the other principals about it. And I was like, oh, you do? And so it was kind of exciting that somebody wanted me to share. And then one of those other principals said, Craig, You gotta protect your work. I was like, what? He goes, like, no, this is good, you have to protect it. And I I didn't really think about it like that before. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe there is something here. And so I decided to present at a conference. And then I wrote an article. And then we came home and I decided to write a book. So it it was all sort of sort of an organic thing where I didn't really know that I was doing something until maybe other people pointed it out to me.
0: Yeah, and it's it's that kind of advice, isn't it? You need sometimes. And then there are a couple of things there I just want to pick up on. The question thing is really, really interesting because I've heard that before um in relation to talking to teenagers and students as well. That kind of, you know, don't tell them how it should be or just your experience pose those questions and let them think about it and then you know not wanting an answer or anything like that and then it just suddenly opens up this space where all manner of things that happen that you wouldn't even consider would be possible had you gone about it the other way around
1: Uh, that's so so spot on and and uh if you think about it that's it's amazing because there's such a massive hypocrisy between the way that we talk about giving feedback to students And I certainly think you're adding even the questions to it makes it even more relevant. And then the way that we do it as principals or observers to teachers. And so, again, not really purposefully doing it, but later on, we realized that really what I'm calling for is let's just do it the same way that's the ideal way to to create uh, reflective processes. Reflective practice as part of your process, the same we'd want students to do, and teachers embrace that. They want to grow. Almost all teachers want to grow, but you've got to be—you've got to put them in a situation where it feels safe. You know, Matt O'Leary, who's uh, out of Great Britain, and I, to me, he's the predominant researcher on observation and evaluation in the world. And basically, his research, qualitative research, said that as soon as you start to evaluatively rate teachers they start playing it safe and stop taking risks and it actually hinders creativity. So if, if what we're doing is going to cause that, then let's do something different.
0: And do you think it is something which used to be the case and now in recent times has kind of been sort of beaten out of the system and it's all about kind of like you say the grades and it has to look like this and has to look like that I know very early on I think it must have been in the first sort of five episodes that I ever did probably back at the end of 20, um, 2016 I had a conversation with um, Lynn Hanna and she was talking about the fact that in the beginning part of her career having an, uh, an inspector coming in was literally about support acknowledgement hand-holding advice wanting to be in this game together and and thriving and then as the years went on it's sort all of chipped away and chipped away and certainly here in the UK with Ofsted now it's it seems to be completely about I need to make sure this is okay otherwise we're in trouble and, and that's just a million miles away so I just wonder whether it's the same in your experience in terms of it used to be different and now hopefully with people like yourself doing these sorts of um, having these conversations it's starting to change back again.
1: Well, I certainly hope it's starting to change back again. I would say, you know, I started my career more as an elementary counselor, so I wasn't being observed in the same way. But as I started writing the book, I spent about the first six months doing a ton of research on the history of observation. And so the clinical supervision model, which came out in the 60s out of Harvard, which is based on the doctors doing their rounds, and it was a pre-observation conference that it was all about, back then they talked a lot about relationships and they talked about their worries about the duality of rating for evaluation and observing to improve performance at the same time. And so we saw that and I've seen that over and over and over statements about that. In 1983 in the US, there was a report came out called A Nation at Risk. And it was designed to elicit fear in the general public about the state of education in the U.S. And the state of education in the U.S. was fine, but more and more people are graduating, so the numbers didn't climb because students that had been dropping out before were now staying in school. And so they used that to create a fear that there was something wrong with education and we need to fix it. And then right around the same time, the RAND Corporation did a study on teacher evaluation and basically they pointed out the same thing, that there's this problem with this duality of evaluation and for growth at the same time. And I've seen those over and over and over over the last 25, 30 years. And then I think if we look at No Child Left Behind in the U.S., which is George W. Bush's uh, plan on education, it's really since A Nation at Risk, but much more so since then, it became about accountability, which is very similar to the Ofsted model, except it wasn't maybe the outside observers coming in. And there's been this increased sense that accountability, 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 and almost a sense that like, if we make the observation process stricter and tougher, it's going to end up with better results, or at least we'll get rid of the bad teachers, I think has been, though that's not been explicitly stated, that's what it feels like. And interestingly, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, did a seven-year, $200 study, which was basically designed to build a more robust observation evaluation process with the goal of improving graduation outcomes, uh, improving student learning, and improving the quality of teaching. Seven years, $200 million, and the Rand Corporation again comes in and does these studies at the end, and they said no sustained improvement. And so what that's telling me is that what we're doing this This more accountability, more accountability, more accountability isn't working. And I'm going to jump back one more second to Charlotte Danielson, who I'm not sure how familiar like UK listeners are to her, but she has a framework that became the big framework, at least in the U.S., for teacher observation evaluation. And that's the one that has the 60-some, 70-some different indicators. And no one would argue that any one of those isn't a good indicator, especially when you're at the higher end of the rubrics of what good teaching is. But when she originally designed that, it was designed as a tool for teachers to self-assess. And then somewhere along the way, and I think it has to be connected to this increased accountability thing, then it became the new wave of let's start to use it to evaluate. And then Marzano jumped on. And it's just been like that and been like that. And when you combine that, like with what Elyria's research says, then like it's, we have 20 years of research saying it's not working. So let's stop and let's change it. And, let's, and plus, t- think about teachers. Teachers... They get into teaching because they want to make a difference in the lives of young people. Those are people with giant hearts, like this big left brain analytical thinking. That's not how you're going to get the best out of people that are built like that. It's going to be by creating, you know, uh, using your emotional intelligence and being caring and supportive and building trust with them. Sorry, I'm going off, but I get really
0: passionate about. It. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're everyone listening. You know, we're we're all uh, all passionate, exactly like that. That's why we're all here. And what you just mentioned there just reminds me of the situation of kind of we know it's not working, and even by the politicians and and the the over sort of overseeing powers that be it's not working for them either and yet it still doesn't change what, what's what's your thought on why that's the case is it just better the devil you know and we'll just keep hammering until we really don't want to or, or what do you think
1: oh boy i i don't think i have a concrete answer on that but i certainly think as soon as we started to get, and I can't speak to the same in the UK, but I'm guessing just with Ofsted's influence it is, I think as soon as we've got political people involved in it, and then you start to legislate things that this has to be a part of it, then it's, it's much harder to pull out of that because then you really have to get legislation that changes that again to say that let's try another way. And then, you know, people talk about, uh, they'll reference soft skills or social emotional learning or whatever. And I don't really enjoy those terms, but those are the people skills and like, Daniel Goleman, the emotional intelligence guy, will tell you that 80 or 90 percent of workplace success has to do with our ability to, at least in any kind of a job where we work with other people, our ability to function successfully with those people. And that's really what we're talking about. And I think in some ways, because those are harder to quantify than a than a math or a literacy assessment, that might be causing an obstacle and preventing people from doing it. But I also think, you know, certainly I think Matt O'Leary's research is incredibly valuable, but I don't think there have been a lot of alternative examples that have put out there that we can provide. Like this isn't working, but it's it's like that teacher that will complaining about something, but then not provide an alternative solution at the same time. And so, you know, my hope is that maybe this is an alternative solution then okay well here here's an example right here let's let's try this and you know at some point i hope we get somebody to fund a research study on this that shows we are making a difference
0: yeah and i guess i guess because we ended up going down that standardization way of being then like say it's really hard to reverse out of there because you can do something different and have great results in one school but then for every one of those schools there'll be another one where that's not been the case and so they want to keep this sort of mean okay-ish rather than and sort of doing it in terms of really jumping forward And, and i know um i had an interview once with someone who said the other thing about along your same sort of lines in terms of the political aspect of it is the fact that um, here, you know, we've got five years between elections. It's only four in the, in the US and it's that kind of so therefore, it's about doing what you can do now. It's not about so in 10 years time, we'll change legislation during that time, so that we can have a new system, then, no matter what happens in the intervening years, it's kind of what well, we need to get elected again, because we can't do anything. And so therefore, we'll just keep <laughs> doing what we can do. And, and so that merry go round keeps going. And I thought that's an interesting, that's an interesting point, too. And, and you can kind of see how you then get stuck.
1: Well, even in the book, one of the things that that I talked about is because like in my home state of Washington state, like really the rules basically say you either have to use Marzano or Danielson or the University of Washington has a model for that. And so like, how do I break in in a situation like that? I mean, I... Like it'd be great if like charter and private and and international schools adopt my model, but really if we're gonna hey, if we're gonna really impact change, it has to happen on the public school level. And so, one of the things I talk about is like okay, well if you can't. If you can't adopt it in your whole district, then maybe you can get your superintendent to like pilot one school and get permission to pilot one school. Or if you can't pilot one school, then maybe I can pilot five teachers in the school. And then maybe if I can't do that, at least I can be the kindest, most empathetic, trust-building person I can within that framework. And at least don't write them every single time, you know, and make that once a year. And so if you can't do that, we've got to start and take whatever little bits and pieces that we can get and hopefully demonstrate success to then – build some kind of momentum to allow us to have more freedom to really go out and try something new that really right now only people that are free from the restraint of legislation are allowed to do.
0: And can you give us some examples of of when you create that atmosphere from the observations that it must just change the whole atmosphere of the school and, and like say all the districts or, or the group of schools, how, however um, many people you can get involved. What are the results then? And I don't necessarily mean, you know, exam results, but in terms of, you know, this sort of shift in education and feeling has to be positive. What are your experiences in that? And and how do you think the two sort of come together?
1: Well, I I think definitely you find an environment where teachers feel like their time is better spent. I mean, so in this model, whenever you have, uh, meetings. There's professional development of somehow involved in every meeting. And so it's not just sitting there taking in information. And so that it feels more productive. And then because in the model you're continuously cycling through all your teachers over and over and over again, you really get to discover. Firsthand, who's really, really good at what. And then you can tap into that. And so the model actually calls for a creation of professional development communities that are tied to the areas of pedagogy on the observation template. And then those are led in-house by our in-house experts in that. If we didn't have somebody, we would go and train them. But then at the end of the year, somebody that's really embraced that new professional development community that they've been involved in, they'll go and lead it again, the next year. So you see really empowered teachers that are demonstrating, you know, using Hattie Collective Teacher Efficacy altogether to improve the building of the school. And then I'll say beyond that, what you'll see is when teachers feel safe and then they trust you, and I'm not an expert in any one of these categories of, of teaching that are in there, but certainly I've seen enough of it to be able to point teachers in a good direction or provide supported growth opportunities for them. You, I have seen teachers over and over again just take the most dramatic changes in their process. I'll just give you two examples. So one, I had a teacher who was... She was a solid traditional math teacher, and in my experience, math teachers maybe tend to be the most traditional uh, of all teachers, and uh, and great relationships with kids. They just loved her, but it would be the classic, you do the problems up on the board, and maybe the last five or ten minutes of class, they work on problems, and she wasn't getting the results that she wanted. And through our conversations, I had another teacher in the building that had switched to flipped and was, was then... Uh, videotaping the lectures and that became the homework and then the whole class. And so she just decided to embrace it and she started doing the same thing. And just, she just saw like the kids were so much more engaged in the learning and because they were spending so much more time working together in classes on problems, their their growth increased. And then the other example that I'll share with you is I had a, a advanced placement, which is like IB in a way. Uh, economics teacher and that's a tough class and kids it's tough for kids to do well in that class and he had about that's a one to five rating scale at the end of the year for the kids and three or above is passing and he would have approximately 20 percent of his students were in the two or one range which is not a super good average and so we were able to because he'd built a relationship with him talk to him about trying some new strategies including uh cake and cooperative learning and so we were able to fund sending him to this, a summer workshop on Kagan and cooperative learning and he came back and this guy he was again a guy that had tremendous content knowledge he had a good sense of humor kids liked him but he was, he was at the lectern for all 50 minutes every day and doing it over and over and over again. And it's just, it's tough learning and, and retention of learning in that model is not gonna be great. And the next year he flipped and went to this almost completely cooperative learning where the kids are learning from each other in groups within these structures. Next year, every single kid got a three or higher. And, and so those are just two examples of, it's, and it's not me, but it's building an environment where they felt safe taking risks. One of the things that we always say to teachers, and and we have on the template, I have risk-taking written on there as an indicator, but it's not really an indicator. It's really there for us as observers to remind our teachers regularly that if I go into your classroom and you're doing something new and it completely bombs you can rest assured that the next day you're going to get a congratulatory fist bump because you're taking risks and we know that as long as we persist in taking risks growth will follow
0: yeah and 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 i think that's absolutely true and and i guess from that particular um, teachers um, examples is the worst case scenario is you revert back to what you were doing before so that you feel comfortable and then you try something new and and, and it's that kind of it gives you that sense of ah oh, okay so i can't lose which of course is what most teachers feel is it they're, they're losing all the time you know mm-hmm. i'm only growing i'm only i'm only giving you options which might just be amazing
1: well and that's funny you talk about it the worst case scenarios they go back to what they were doing and so i would say in in the trust-based model because we're continually cycling through our teachers, the next visit when I see you will have been close enough to the previous visit where we still both remember what we were talking about working on. And so because we talked about it and something's not there, then together in a supportive way, we can talk about tweaks or adjustments, not having to revert to what you're doing. And there's actually uh, those um, the clinical supervision model, back in the very beginning, they talked about something called an implementation dip. And so that when we start something new, it's often likely to get worse before it gets better than it was in the beginning. And as a former coach, I know like when I would work with a player on their shot, I would always tell them, look, when we make this adjustment to your shot, we're gonna experience about a month where it's gonna get worse before it ends up better than it was before. And so when we're working with teachers frequently enough, that we can continue to work with them and make adjustments and tweak, but then also make them aware that it's, it's, it's common to receive an implementation dip. Then they're much more willing. And again, then you've created the safe environment. They're much more willing to persist towards success.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you've talked about the framework here and, and how it, how it works. So, it fantastic if you can go into a school and implement this yourself and uh, and take part one on one how does it scale how does it work amongst multiple schools how how does it grow around the world when you when you have the option of sort of thinking yeah we could really make a massive difference through having these things in place so how how does that work for you
1: being on podcasts like this (laughs) (laughs) um it i mean it's i am on a mission and my mission is that is to make this or something like this and i mean you know Marzano and danielson want to convert to building trust focusing on that and paring down their stuff i mean i think that's great too but it just has to be i think just it's word of mouth and it's like if we see something and we like it then i'm going to embrace it myself and i'm going to tell other people about it and it's it's um malcolm gladwell has that book called that you know i know I sure hope this is what happens and I can't guarantee it. And I don't want to sound arrogant. Like I know it's automatically going to happen, but boy, in my heart, my God, everything just tells me it's a better way to do it. That if we keep every single person that, you know, I tweet and I and LinkedIn and Facebook groups and I talk about it and get the word out and send out little comments every day and people buy the book and I ask them to tell other people to buy the book and, and superintendents and then maybe somebody to tire up in education and there will be those people that at the very beginning will read it. And they will just be passionately, yes, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. And it's it's those people first that they're not even the early adopters. Those are like the passionate adopters. And then that's followed, hopefully, by early adopters. And then the people that will just, whatever's thrown at you will do it. And then maybe when they start to experience it, I mean, that's my hope. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see.
0: And that's the great thing about a book, isn't it? Is because, you know, you have... All of these conversations that we have with each other, and also in our heads all the time about how all that works, and then it's pared down to the point where you have the steps, you have the understanding, you can see it, you've got the experience of it, you can you can sort of tell people what's happened already in different scenarios, and and it just it it just becomes really clear for people, doesn't it? And it becomes a real living thing. It's not about I wish it was like this. It's kind of it is like this if you're here doing it in this school so why not give it a go where you are no let's
1: let's take action and and you know and whether that's getting trained on it or whatever because you do have to practice it you know before you do it but it's whatever it is there's there's when people experience it and, and just those two examples i talked about or you'll see the whole school embrace it and they teach each other and they're learning from each other and you you see that passion and it becomes this culture of trust and growth in the school when you experience that, and I know you can hear it in my voice, I think, is it just like, how can it not be contagious and hopefully have other people embrace it too?
0: From your experience of being at school, and I guess this could, doesn't have to be when you're actually a child, it could be from you know your experience of being a teacher and actually working within schools yeah. as well. What have you found valuable? Is it is it kind of the, I know this isn't working and because now, of course, you do know what does work, or was there something a little bit left-field which you remember which is just sort of really helped you in that sort of career grounding, I guess I'd call it, you know, because you sort of, you have all that experience across so many different areas of the education world.
1: I think I'm, I'm. A, my wife teases me because I'm such a Pollyanna optimist. And I think that's the core of who my personality is. And I started my career as a, as an elementary school counselor. And, and I think that in some ways, just that that's who I am and that positive, and working from a positive, and, and then experiences. I was a really shy kid, maybe who got kind of lost in the shuffle in school, but I do know that when there, whenever somebody would take an interest in me, which is really what this is doing, it's really the reflective conversation, is my taking an interest in you as a teacher, listening to you, and saying that I value you and so I think maybe that same thing I can't say I logically thought about it like that that wouldn't be genuine of me to say but but I think it's fair to maybe guess that or surmise that one somehow led to the other
0: I think um I think that's incredibly incredibly astute and incredibly true because the number of times I hear you know having these conversations with multiple people However it's phrased, however it comes across, it's always about the person that's seen you, that wants to be with you as the, you know, not the job, but the actual person and how you can develop. And it might have been a teacher, it might have been a mentor, it might be a work call, it could be anybody. Um, It can be, you know, um, teacher and student. But it's that kind of, you know... You know who I am as a as a human being who shows up here every day, whatever that happens to be. And we're going to have a connection based on the reality of, of of two human beings doing that. And And I think in a nutshell, if I, I think almost everything over these sort of 100 episodes that we've got on Education on Fire, I think if you can start with that, then I think everything else I talk about and everything else that comes out, flourishes from that standpoint i think
1: you know i think it when we first when you first start the model to school of course there will be teachers that are open to it right away and the first time you ask them questions and but of course there's going to be teachers that have been living with another model or there's the principals that are out to get you right and so they're going to be resistant at, at first but with time when they see that it really is about you it is the reflective conversation. It's almost in a way, it's almost like a, f- a friend building exercise. I've never really phrased it that way before, but but as I'm listening to us talk about it, that almost seems like what it is because I'm asking you questions about your practice. And then it's, it's so amazing how often After they become more comfortable, our conversations will veer into maybe something about them and their family, and so you're getting to know them then. Or they'll have an idea not just about their classroom, but an idea about the school that they feel safe enough to to broach with you. And, And so somehow, some way, because we're seeing, we're just continually cycling through and seeing with time that develops and it becomes both ways because I have to be more willing to share and be vulnerable myself it doesn't work it's just one way right if we're not being vulnerable as administrators yeah for sure and then I think as we both become more vulnerable you know Brene Brown of vulnerability and uh which is really powerful stuff scary and powerful but we lessen the, the tough part of vulnerability so we're more willing to take a risk and throw ourselves out there just positive things happen as a result
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think you've given us so much fantastic advice in terms of this education system and also, you know, just people listening in terms of understanding what you can do no matter where you are in your career in terms of, you know, having those conversations, you know, being willing to to show up and, and actually be authentic in what you're doing. And you're right, those small conversations about... What you did at the weekend, or a family member, or a situation, just opens up that whole world, and and I think that really is just a it's a wonderful thing to do, and you can do it in bit by bit. That's the thing, you know. You can just do that, and it just becomes, you know, becomes trust, and then, like you say, once you get there, that just flourishes into everything that we've been that we've been talking about. So, well, Craig, it's been it's been fascinating conversation, and I just love the way that we're able to kind of you know we talked about the fact we can't change education but i think we've painted a picture about how it can be different and i think from your experiences and what you've managed to create you know there's there's a way forward for people who want to be able to embrace this and and certainly adopt a new way and at least sort of see the guiding light of what that is so tell people where they can, where they can get hold of the book and and your website and and where they can find out much more about you.
1: Sure. Um, So they can get it on Amazon and Amazon, what CO UK is, I think that's the UK uh, address. It's, it's, it's there and uh, obviously any Amazon and I'm sure bookstores have it. I'm not sure. Although you won't be going into bookstores for a while there now.
0: Not for a while. (laughs) And,
1: um, but uh, so it's there. I have a website called trustbased.com. And so there's more information there and you can access the observation template there and and or me however you want through that um on twitter i'm at at trust based craig i'm on linkedin as craig randall um those are really the main ways you can get a, my email is craig at trustbased.com feel free to contact me because i'm happy to help to and talk with anybody who's interested
0: oh thank you so much and i i, I love that kind of the way this sort of conversation isn't between me and you, it's between all of us that are taking part in this. And then the the ability for that just to take on a whole new life, like I say, whether it's a tweet, whether it's an email, anything like that. And, and we'll have links to everything in the show notes that Craig's just been talking about as well. So that will be fantastic. So Craig, thank you so much indeed for being here. Um, it's inspiring to hear um, what you've put together and how it can help people and and i wish you every success and hope it really changes many lives
1: mark thanks so much for having me on i'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk about it and hopefully together we're spreading the word and making a difference
0: thanks for listening to the education on fire podcast for more information of each episode and to get in touch go to educationonfire.com education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire